Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I don't know if you personally call them the police or the police, but I do know they are human and capable of emotions, like the ones you may have if you devoted years of your life to something and then had to leave it. On top of that, sometimes you had to risk your own safety while doing it. That was the case for one former officer with the New Orleans Police Department. I recently spoke with him about the day he resigned from the force and had to say goodbye to someone he truly respected. I cried. I cried like a little kid. Um, When I was handing in my stuff, I told the person I didn't want to leave, but I had to. And they, they understood why. And they told me, you know, I don't want to see you leave, but I, I get it. You have to, because it's only a matter of time before something happens. And then you're going to be under a microscope. And that was it. I cried like a little kid and I'm getting choked up thinking about it because that that's a person that I, um, have the utmost respect for. I'm going to call this man George. That's not his real name. He left the NOPD in 2020 after serving what he described as less than 10 years on the force. He's hesitant in getting too specific about how long he served, his rank, and where he was stationed. He didn't want to be identified for various reasons. One of them has to do with keeping some of the friends he still has working with the NOPD safe from intimidation and retaliation. That includes a veteran officer whom he idolized. And when they told me that I did a good job on something like that, I didn't need a raise. I didn't need, you know, a retention bonus. I didn't need, um, you know, some pin at some ceremony. When someone that I respect that's done the work and, you know, helped guide my career and train me, gave me their stamp of approval, that's all I needed to know that I was legit. I didn't need the mayor to shake my hand in front of a room full of people you know, have my picture taken or be on the news. To have someone who's lived it and done it and is like, you know, a demigod on the job tell you, you know, I watched your body-worn camera footage, you did great, you know. That's, you know, that, that was all I needed. I knew I was doing it the right way for the right reasons. And you had to leave that person. And, yeah, I and I had to leave him. And I didn't want to. But I just, I, I, I could see the way things were going. George is one of 10 people I've met or interviewed over the last three weeks who have either left the NOPD or still serve there. 
at a time when the NOPD is struggling with its deepest manpower shortage in 70 years, I wanted to get a sense of why some officers left. According to these officers, at least, it wasn't about low pay or equipment. I discovered the reasons can be personal, but some concerns kept popping up. We'll hear those concerns, but I want to first finish introducing the people I interviewed. Five of them agreed to our conversation being recorded. Three agreed to use their real names, including Megan Silva. For roughly three years, she served as a patrol officer in the NOPD's 7th District in New Orleans East. She resigned this past spring. Silva felt she could no longer do the kind of police work that motivated her to become an officer in the first place. I always wanted to be a police officer since I was a kid. And that's just not what I envisioned what I was doing in New Orleans. I wanted to be the real police and be able to chase and not fear that I'm going to get in trouble if I start a chase or pull out my weapon for it. If I feel like I need to pull out my weapon, then I wouldn't get in trouble. And you felt like you couldn't do that with the NOPD? Correct. Another former officer who chose to use their real name is Dave Liang. He served 24 years with the NOPD and retired in July of 2021. He finished as a sergeant on the night watch in the 2nd District in the uptown part of New Orleans. Liang is now working for a small department in Kansas. As a native of New Orleans, it wasn't how he envisioned the final years of his career. Liang wanted to retire in his hometown, not Kansas. But he said the conditions within the department made it impossible for him to stay. It was hard, and there were good reasons to come here, uh, but it was, it's still hard now. It is still hard now. I, uh, <laughs> I got really homesick late last year, say between around November, December, up until spring. I, I, I don't want to say I got depressed. I wasn't so depressed that uh, I was going to harm myself or anything like that. But I got really depressed because I'm, I'm 56 years old now. So I was 55 years old. I had moved all the way across the country, and it's 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 difficult. I mean, I have a, a an aunt and an uncle who still live in New Orleans. All of my friends are there, and uh, it was very difficult. And uh, I don't regret my decision at all. I don't regret my decision leaving the NOPD. But I'd been in the NOPD for 24 years. I'd been in the NOPD since I was 31 years old. And so it was very difficult. Anthony Caprera was also a longtime NOPD veteran. He put in 37 years. He served in multiple districts. When he retired in 2021, he was serving as captain of the 8th District in the French Quarter. Caprera didn't resign like some of the other people I interviewed. For the most part, Caprera enjoyed his career with the NOPD. He was proud of the many officers he worked with. He just felt it was the right time to retire. But that doesn't mean he was blind to the fact that hundreds of officers left the force in the past few years, leaving behind a staff of less than 1,000 officers in a city that's had a long-standing goal of 1,600 officers. Capera says he's speaking out because he hasn't heard a clear strategy from the city about how to reduce a surge in violent and property crimes. I visited him as he was clearing out his home in New Orleans. Caprera is moving to the North Shore. He wants to see the NOPD improve, but personal safety is one reason for his move. I want them to succeed. I spent my adult life part of that organization. I was proud to do it. I was very fortunate and I was thankful for my time there. 
I want them to succeed. As a resident of the city, I want to feel safe and know that if I call the police, a quality officer is coming out, that I'm not going to be waiting forever for a police response. You are now a citizen. Do you have that concern? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, safety is a concern. I mean, I would be lying if I said it wasn't. So what is it that the public isn't seeing? Because I think there's probably deeper issues that we're not seeing that only internally officers can see. I think that the, uh, the number one issue for the police department today is retention. You know, uh, and that's been going on for a while. When I was a district commander, I had academy class graduate. I had an officer assigned to me. He never showed up. He resigned the day after graduating academy and went to another jurisdiction. Uh, we did a great job training him for somebody else. That's a problem. Even when we were in field training, we, we had a group message still with my entire class that graduated. We're going to call this former officer Sam. And we would be talking and we would all pretty much be going through the same thing. And it was really concerning because we were like, you know, we just started this job. Like, it's too early for us to hate our career. <laughs> but it was, it was miserable. It took only a year with the NOPD for Sam to resign. One factor, but not the factor in his resignation, was what he called the dangerously low number of officers on the street. Sam worked in the NOPD's third district, which covers Gentilly, Mid-City, and Lakeview. It got to a point where, you know, you're going to work and you've got three or four people on a good night for 200 square miles in the third district. And if any more than like one major incident happened at once, it's extremely unsafe <laughs> because I mean, obviously like if you have something major that's going on, you have to go, but we're still working something else. So you can't just abandon what you're already working on. And it, it's just, it's unbelievable. Sam said a typical night in the third district started with going through a backlog of calls for service that the police couldn't answer earlier. The number of police officers is getting smaller, but calls to the NOPD for help are not. Sam says a backlog of 20 to 30 calls was common. For Megan Silva out in the east, the backlog sometimes pushed triple digits. Their ability to respond depended on the type of call, a code one or a code two. So typically, when you went into work, what was that backlog of calls looking like? Some days it would only be like maybe 20, and that was a good day. But over the holidays, it got up in over 100 and. It was like 100 code ones and maybe 20 code twos. And what would code one and twos mean? Translate that for us. So a code one is just like a little, I need a police report for a theft or my car was stolen, but no one's in like harm's way. A code two would be like something that is emergent, a shooting, a carjacking, something that is someone's in danger, their life's in danger, something like that. But typically you went in with at least 20 every day. Yes. So how would you even plot out your day? I mean, how, how do you begin to, to even cut away at that and then deal with whatever's happening that day? So we would just tell, we would get our stuff ready for the day and then basically have the dispatcher send us any code twos. And then once we took care of all the code twos, 
we would assess what was in our zone, which there are four zones or sectors or zones in um, the east. And you would just take it one by one. And what I would do was knock out calls that wouldn't need police reports and then work on the calls that do need police reports so you could like get, basically get the backlog down. That's what your supervisors wanted, get the backlog down. Data presented to the New Orleans City Council in July showed that when somebody calls the NOPD, the average wait time before an officer actually arrives is now two and a half hours. Three years ago, that wait time was 51 minutes. You don't have to look far to find someone who says they called 911 in New Orleans and then waited hours for police to show up. But rarely do we get to hear from officers trying to answer those calls. Megan Silva told me, despite what some may think, the NOPD is trying its best to respond to every call. There's one call she was working in the East that stuck with her. There was a uh, death holding in the backlog. I had already been on shift for a couple hours, and my lieutenants asked me specifically to go on this call, and it was already about, I'd say between 2.30 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So this call had been holding since about 8 o'clock in the evening before. And my lieutenant said, I... I have to go with you because these people might be irate, which I agree I would be as well. So I got there and explained the situation and they were understanding, but obviously they had a dead body sitting on their floor for five, six hours. So they were kind of upset, which is understandable. And then how did you proceed? Um, I just had to observe what I saw and write the report. And I had to go back from the, I believe I had to go back to the previous shift's EMS to ask them, because um, you always have to get a time of death. So I had to go to the previous EMS shift and see who had rep- responded to the call and see what time the time of death was, which was about six to seven hours before I got there. It's heartbreaking that these people had to wait for just. It wasn't a murder. It wasn't anything foul play. It was just a, this man died in his sleep, and he still they still need a police report, and they couldn't even call a funeral home without the coroner releasing the body. And you were just stuck in the middle, really, at that point. I was, and all I could do was apologize. Silva says she was run ragged because of the constant backlog of calls. And then there was the unpredictable nature of the ones to come. She often didn't have time to eat during her shift, and then would have to stay late or come in early to finish writing her reports, all of it unpaid. The shortage of officers not only hamstrings the NOPD's response to citizens, but sometimes it also hinders the response to one of their own. The manpower shortage, I think it's worse than their, like, telling the public because sometimes we would only have three to four units on the street. And in the east. there was, I'm sorry? In the east you're talking about. And that's a really yes. large district. So you would have maybe three or four units on the street at a given time? Yes, in the middle of the night, because I, work, I only work night shift there. How many would you ideally should have? We should at least like six or seven and that's at the very least. But you were working with basically four. Right. Not including sergeants and lieutenants, but they don't go on the street. 
so how does that affect your ability to do your job and how does it affect you to respond to calls when you have only four units you move a lot slower than you want to because when we had there was one night when we had three units it was just three officers three cars and me and one unit because you always need backup on a code two we went to a code two another code two left once that scene was safe I left to go help this other officer on a code two. Then a shooting came out. So I had to leave again to go with a sergeant to a shooting. And then it just trickled after that. Here's Sam, who worked in the third district. We talked about code one and code two. Uh, NOPD policy states, uh, if it's code two traffic, you cannot make it uh, on scene or 1097 until you have a second unit to make a scene. So I went, I was responding to a call in Holly Grove. Uh, it was a call of shots fired. We get that all the time just because sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's people playing uh, with fireworks. Sometimes it's someone getting actually shot, but that comes out as code two. We're not allowed to make 1097 until we can get a second person. So I knew no one else was clear, but I, I went and I basically staged uh, four or five blocks away to wait on the second unit. And I sat there for 45 minutes waiting on a second unit, not knowing if someone was shot and dying or if it was just another like ludicrous call. But I sat there for 45 minutes waiting on somebody to get there. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like what if someone was dying there? As more officers like Sam and Megan Silva resigned or retired, it put more stress on the remaining staff. It seemed to come to a head for Scott Fanning. Before Officer Fanning infamously walked off his shift while on duty in the 8th District last month, I was sent a video that Fanning made before he quit. He's in uniform and appears to be in his patrol unit. Eventually, he moves the camera to a computer. Let me just show you this real quick. So it's 7.22 of 7.22, 7.57 p.m. Now look, starting at 1.13, these are all the officers currently logged in and working in the whole city. Let me go slow so you can count it if you want. All the way to right there, 849, and it stops. These are all the officers logged in in the whole city. I counted it. There's about 35 officers logged in. And the news is given information. After making the video, Fanning, who served three years with the NOPD, reportedly sent his resignation via text message to his supervisor. Former Officer George, whose voice we heard first in the story, says Fanning didn't give enough context in his video when he said there were only 35 officers logged into the NOPD network. And that kid who left and shot the video that went semi-viral proved it. Look, here's my CAD. There's 35 people logged in. What he forgot to tell you was eight of those aren't even on the street. So you have less than 30 officers on patrol for the whole city of New Orleans handling calls for service. Now, that doesn't include you know, Bourbon Promenade and uh, the people who are detailed specifically to Bourbon Street. And it also doesn't include detectives, but they're not, they're not answering the radio for calls. But you have a city of like 300,000 people and you have less than 30 officers on the street on a Friday or a Wednesday. That's unacceptable. Police Superintendent Sean Ferguson said Fanning deserted his post and the people of New Orleans. Anthony Caprera, the former captain of the 8th District, agrees to a certain point. 
but says the Fanning incident demonstrates why retaining veteran officers is so important. So the officer in question worked for me. Uh, I thought he was a, a good cop. I thought he was a young, promising officer, right? I think that one of the biggest problems with today is is what I spoke about very early on, is when I was on a platoon in the 6th District, there were guys with 16, 17, 20 years on the platoon as well, able to mentor young guys. Listen, we all have bad days. And maybe he had an exceptionally bad day that night, uh, and he, he decided to walk off. I think it was the wrong thing to do. You don't quit in the middle of your shift, no matter how bad it is. You stick it out. And then you do some soul searching. If this is not for me, hey, look, Sarge, I'm not going to be in tomorrow. This is just not for me. But you don't quit midstream, right? Uh, Young guys like that need somebody to mentor them. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. In his 37 years with the NOPD, Caprera has seen the department weather a lot of storms, including the actual storm of Hurricane Katrina when there were well-documented cases of police desertion, police shootings, and police corruption. Allegations of misconduct and civil rights violations by the NOPD persisted after Katrina. And in 2010, then-Mayor Mitch Landrieu invited the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate and reform the NOPD. As part of what's called the Consent Decree, the department and its officers have had to work under the supervision of a federal judge and people called monitors. It's been that way since 2013. The goal of the consent decree is to make sure the NOPD is conducting professional, effective, and constitutional policing. The judge and the monitors scrutinize the NOPD's practices to make sure that goal is met. Anthony Caprera says the consent decree was necessary. Former Mayor Landrews said that we were the worst police department in America. We need reform. I don't know if we were the worst. We need reform. Uh, So I think the mindset when they came in, we're going to scrap the whole thing and we're going to start from from zero and build, and these are going to be the requirements you're going to have to deal with. The consent decree is pretty far-reaching. A lot of good things came from it, but the administrative part of it is overly burdensome. Overly burdensome and far-reaching is how some police and politicians have described the consent decree. With more rules and restrictions on officers, more internal investigations may be launched if there's an alleged violation of those guidelines. And when the NOPD has to investigate an officer, it usually involves the Public Integrity Bureau, or the PIB. Everyone I spoke with for this story brought up the actions of the PIB in one way or another. I think there's some bias with PIB. I just feel like every time I turn around, I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. And anytime you feel like you're going to get in trouble, that's days off of work. And then 
PIB gets involved and you don't want to do anything because you don't want to get in trouble. I had a bogus complaint called in to Public Integrity Division on me. I wish the city good luck. I hope they get out of the consent decree tomorrow. I hope they can hire 500 officers next year. I really do. Um, but unless and until things at the top change, and I don't mean the chief, um, I mean with the way that PIB is run, it's not going to happen. George and Dave Liang told me the problem with PIB has less to do with the number of investigations it launches and more with their selective nature and who becomes their target. George and Liang both were investigated by PIB, but were ultimately cleared of wrongdoing. For me personally, it was an observed behavior of um, the disciplinary process is not, you know, it doesn't apply to everybody equally across the board. It seems like one person's infraction is a minor slap on the wrist and someone else's same infraction um, is a fireable offense. Now I realize that someone's past history, you know, Officer A and Officer B's past history might play a part in that, obviously, right? Like if it's the third time you've been caught doing something, you know, it's a little more um, serious than if it's your first time. But when officers of the same, you know, general assignment and, and, and everything else are caught doing the same thing and one person is written up and suspended and the other person doesn't even seem like they get any kind of repercussions. You know, it's like, what are we doing here? So for me, it was just a matter of time um, that I could see that if PID doesn't get you for one thing, then they'll make sure that if they can get you for something else later on down the line, you know, they'll get you for the thing they couldn't get you for the first time. To George, who came from out of state to join the force, PIB and certain factions of the NOPD favor and protect certain officers, especially if they're from New Orleans. There's certain places you're not going to go on that job. If you're not, if you're not connected to the right people, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're the right. I, I interviewed for a couple of spots, and I was told, you know, we liked you, and we wanted you. However, we were told this is the person, and that's because they're you know, friends with, related to. Uh, in the right circle. George said nepotism and cronyism seeped into work assignments. He said it was apparent during big events that often required an all-hands-on-deck kind of posture. The same people seem to always get the same holidays off every year. The same people never have to um, work special assignments like uh, Essence Festival, Bayou Classic. The same people uh, every year somehow manage to not be on the parade route uh, for Mardi Gras same people every year somehow manage to not not be on the parade route but they also get time off to go to certain uh, Mardi Gras related functions. But did they have seniority? Um, Are we talking apples to apples? Maybe a lower rank officer has to work these duties because maybe the other officer had put in their time? What are we talking about? Somewhat, somewhat, but when someone who's got less time than you somehow doesn't have to do these things and is somehow going to these functions as the date of or the plus one of someone else, um, you know, it's grading, you know, because they're in with the right people or related to the right people or went to this, you know, 
the preferred high school of the right people. George said sometimes he felt that his race was a factor in how certain officers interacted with him. I was, I was told on more than one occasion by officers who uh, happen to be black and are from here that I will never fully uh, be uh, capable. Um, I'll never fully understand being a police officer in New Orleans because I'm not from here and I'm not black and I'm, and I'm white. Like, you just don't get it because you're not from here and you're white. So I don't understand why I can't be just as capable or effective. That was the word I was told. You can't be, a, you can't fully be effective to be a police officer in New Orleans because you're white. You're not from here. How did that I'm affect? Just, how did that affect you as an officer in doing your job? Um, personally, yeah. I have to value your opinion as a person for it to matter to me. And those those people I thought were garbage police officers and lazy, so it didn't affect me personally. Um, but did it like affect I your view I, on NOPD when you're dealing and you're being confronted with that? Um, I will say that I was iced out of a couple of rooms, for sure, because um, I never had a problem making my opinion known, and I would call people out on the carpet in public. Dave Liang, who is originally from New Orleans and of mixed heritage, put a finer point in how he saw the NOPD's internal politics. It, it wasn't about white or black for me because I'm neither. Um, and I was not treated like either. If, if you kind of understand what, what I'm saying, I, I, um, so I don't think if, if race was really a definitive or if that really made a difference for me, I'm, I'm not sure I could put my finger on any situation. The, the, uh, the problem with me was I was not a part of an established clique. I didn't see it as a racial clique. However, there was the legacy involved with the NOPD. If your father had served and and had been like on the SWAT team, or if your father knew the rank, then you were going to get a good job. You were going to get a good position. When promotions came around, you were going to get promoted. When the slot on the SWAT team would open up, you were going to get on the SWAT team. That's uh, we, we would call it legacy. And that's one thing I absolutely didn't have. There's no family member of mine, even on my mom's side, that had ever been a part of the NOPD or city government at all. Liang believes his lack of legacy worked against him when he sought promotions to the rank of lieutenant. He took the lieutenant's test three times. The first time he took the test as sergeant in 2009, he was under investigation. I had gotten in trouble. An officer of mine in 2009 had visited a prostitute on duty, which is of course prohibited, but I was disciplined for um, a failure to supervise, even though I knew nothing about it. And so after that happened, um, I was not promotable. Liang says he got demoted, stripped of his sergeant stripes, and placed back on patrol duty. It took several years, but Liang successfully appealed his demotion and tested two more times to become a lieutenant. In 2014, I, was, I won my stripes back, my rank back, through the uh, appeal process, through the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeal. And I was awarded my back pay, the difference between a patrolman and a sergeant pay. I was given that too, because it was ruled that the city improperly demoted. So... The, the theory is, is when that happens, when the city is called out, 
and the court decides the city made a mistake, they're supposed to make you whole. But that really didn't happen because at that time, and again, I have no proof of this. I know it happened, but nor would I try to pursue it now. But um, our Linda Westbrook, who is the uh, head of the civilian head of the Public Integrity Bureau, uh, said that uh, as long as she's in her position, I was not going to be promoted to lieutenant. Liang's frustration with the NOPD deepened when a criminal complaint was filed against him. He said it came in not long after he was passed over for promotion. This was an anonymous complaint. The complaint was that I was committing payroll fraud. So, of course, that was investigated, but they investigated me for a half year. It was either a half year or an entire year of uh, payroll entries. That's what that's one thing that sergeants do. Sometimes desk officers do it as well. They enter the payroll and the officers are supposed to approve the payroll afterwards. And I don't know what they because, again, I, I don't know what was being reported as criminal. I don't know what the fraud was about, the um, Public Integrity Bureau found nothing. There was one error, which was not a fraudulent error. It was simply a time error. But it got me thinking, you know, a payroll fraud is criminal matter. And here I was, I was getting close to when I was going to retire. And now I'm thinking, what are they going to do? Are they going to give me the Hollywood walk? And what that just means is when an officer is arrested, generally speaking, it's in front of the media. And that's happened to, to many officers. Uh, a lot of times it's deserved. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying that I didn't want that to be me. So Liang retired in 2021 and left the NOPD and took his 24 years of experience to Kansas. Anthony Caprera says bad judgment by the Public Integrity Bureau caused even more experience to be lost when the PIB investigated an 8th District Task Force about two years ago. For a PIB to be effective, they need to, you need to know, certainly, I violated this, this is what I'm looking at, I did something wrong, I could be punished by this. It needs to be timely, and it needs to be, the discipline needs to be handed out fairly, right? Uh, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. As a, as a commanding officer, we were doing commanding hearings uh, or uh, chief hearings, bureau hearings at PIB for infractions that were well over a year, well over a year old. Eighth uh, District Task Force was completely reassigned on an allegation from a defense attorney. Uh, those guys all sat in timeout at headquarters for nearly 12 months. Uh, they were ultimately cleared of any wrongdoing. They were given an award for their work doing Mardi Gras, getting guns off the street. And I believe every one of those officers that was that were involved in that work, that was uh, sat in administrative assignment, all have left the job. That sends a bad message. So it sends a message to the guys like, oh, man, why would I go out there and risk my career and my reputation in doing something uh, trying to do a good job, and they look at me, and, and I'm presumed guilty. There's a presumption of guilt from PIB automatically. They didn't cite specific cases like the reassignment of the 8th District Task Force or the anonymous criminal complaint against Dave Liang. But former officers George and Sam told me they saw enough people getting unfairly investigated by PIB, and they didn't want to become targets. If they did, an internal investigation would have made it more difficult for them to leave the force. Some have dubbed it retention through suspension. 
Sam and George told me they resigned to avoid the possibility of that happening to them. I didn't want to be someone that was on the front page of the news who got fired for whatever, making a Facebook post or whatever. And then all of a sudden, you know, six months later, you soon you get your job back, but you don't get your job back. I mean, yeah, you're a member of the New Orleans Police Department again, but they bury you. So March 21 is when I left. And uh, I can say that I, I enjoy my job. I, I genuinely love where I work. And I have a great time. I have a great platoon that I work with and uh, rank that supports me. Don't have to worry about it. Experiencing that with NOPD? No. Uh, like I told several people, man, um, I, I wish my biggest fear going to work at NOPD was safety of myself. Uh, it wasn't. <laughs> my biggest fear going to work every day was like, one, am I still going to have a job at the end of the day? Am I going to um, get arrested for like some outlandish investigation that either I was or wasn't involved with that was blown out of proportion by the people investigating it? Uh, there was just an overarching theme across all the the rank that ultimately it was protection of their position and their ability to progress in the department above the safety and well-being of the people that worked for them at the ground level of the platoon. Just so I make sure that I'm getting this correct, so you're you were more fearful of it sounds like the internal politics yeah. of. NOPD and how that could compromise you as a person, as a police officer as well, more than you were fearing for your safety. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, there's there's an understandable degree of danger to what we do. And you have to accept that to be able to go do the job. I mean, you, you get that wherever you work in law enforcement. But if I can't trust you, if I'm going to go out and do the job that I was trained to do, if I can't trust you to have my back and support me when something goes bad, if, say if I have a use of force that looks really bad, even if it was completely justified, if it looks really bad and it's on a bunch of cell phone videos and it's going viral, is it going to be your first um, reaction to penalize me and investigate me? Or is it going to be like, hey, let's get the full story. Let's look at your camera, X, Y, Z, rather than let's please the public, <laughs> which isn't innately bad. But I think you can see where I'm going. Yeah. Um it was not their their first order to care for and support the people that worked for them. They wanted to protect their positions. They wanted to protect their potential, and that was it. And that you could feel that even if it wasn't overtly said. Whatever that officer told you along those lines was 100% correct. And I said it many times to many people that I worked with. We're not afraid of... The bad guy in front of us, we're afraid of the rank standing behind us. Last week, the mayor and police chief announced several policy changes and initiatives they hope can retain officers. Some of those address a few of the frustrations we've heard. But will they be enough to prevent more officers from leaving the NOPD? I'll take that up in my next story. For WWL Radio, I'm Tan Trung. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.